Hi, I'm Bob Witte with KPND in Sandpoint, Idaho. If I can be a fan of Skylight Books, LA's world-famous independent bookstore, from way up here in the Idaho Panhandle, then you can too from wherever you are. Visit the website, buy some books. You can even join their membership club and reap the benefits of supporting independent booksellers. Thanks. softer side meet me on the softer side softer side of your heart hi there and welcome to the skylight books author reading series you can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online you can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy being at Skylight and thank you all for being here. It's um, very nice of you all to come out on Saturday. Um, I will read from Partially Kept and then I thought I would read a couple of things from, I have a forthcoming book um, next year from Omnidon called uh, Transfer of Qualities. So I thought I would read a couple of prose poems. I realized I was talking to, can you hear me? You can hear me okay, right? If I'm over here, you can still hear me better over here. Okay. So I was talking to students this week and I realized that almost every time I wrote a book, I wrote the next book um, in argument with the book I had written before. So um, I think this uh, partially kept is very much about um, disappearance and there are a lot of blank places in the poems and so there's a lot about what is missing and what has disappeared and so forth. Um, and then when I went to write uh, the next book, um, I wanted to write about objects that were right up against you and banged you up and made you black and blue. So there was a sense of doing two different kinds of books in these two. So um, Partially Kept was written in part um, by looking at 17th century essays by Sir Thomas Brown. And I was interested in the way in which culture disappears, language disappears, um, and particularly the very wonderful vocabulary that Sir Thomas Brown uses has disappeared. And he wrote about plants um, in an essay called The Garden of Cy Gardens of Cyrus. And so I wanted to write about plants. And um, so I'm going to read to you from a couple of poems from the very first part of this book because uh, they're the ones that really got the book going. Um, and they're the ones that are about plants. Um, so each poem has um, lines of mine and lines from this essay. And I wish I could speak in italic because then you could see which ones were from the essay. But I'll try to indicate it. I think sometimes the language is difficult, I mean different enough that you'll probably be able to tell. Um, or 
Or on a morning, the wistful eyes which Wilom glanced down upon the fields. Or on a morning, I wot not what in me is come to pass, in me this Wilom who most gladly was. Or on a morning that came after, after the fields, lance leaf blue, or only the fields, where I was distanced from the past and from the time I saw it, eyes having changed in the meanwhile, who was walking the morning, the morning moving through blue, having never, not that I am, or what is in me, the morning moving gladly is now come to pass. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> By parallaxis. For if one could see out of the dark chamber of just plain going about things, out of the past where many things are known, as some are seen, that is, by parallaxis, or at some distance from their true and proper beings, the wingy divisions, reddish accumulations pooling, the startled recognitions of what was flapping, or hearing the air loosed in the pipes, then birds mouthing themselves into cardinals, one sister calling the other to tell what she saw. Uh, this one is, um, I think, very much about disappearance and that feeling one gets from time to time um, of wishing you were just in sound as it sort of disappeared into a kind of hush. So it's called sound. Let me not be, or being, only in the gravel, the brushed sound it makes underfoot, or under that, or before the foot hits the ground. In the undoing of stone into gravel, the breaking apart, and then into sand at the shore where I left off. It was a beautiful day the dunes at Sand Mountain in Nevada sing a note of low C. Put the mic down. Now can you hear me? A little bit. Working. Oh, so I just did something okay, to there it. there we go. Now let's see. I pro now how about that? Is that better? Okay, I'll try again. I'll start. No. The stalks of mint. The stalks of mint set in glasses with the root end upward and out of the water, sending forth sprouts without the aid of roots or a thought reasonable enough, but not even a thought of a face never to be seen again. A configuration drawn with thin ink, a face, and she had seen it too. The root stripped from the leaves, knowing this all this afternoon, nothing to do with leaves, yet to touch them, to lift the mint into the air, as if the configuration of it would hold what's sketched in, a nervous line, her. Manifest. Underneath, beyond the stand of trees, the oak, manifesting upon incision the signature of a star. 
signs lodged below the surface or into the past, garbled, hushed. Walk into the kitchen. Say something to keep the overhead bulb, the overhead bulb. Try to remember the woman there, underneath the years, underneath the tree. Let her walk up the steps into the room. Um, the, those are those are the poems from the first part of the um, of the book, and um, it ends with um, two poems, um, both of which have a lot of blank space in them. So I'll read one that's called the, um, and it's just the article the, um, and I can't again read very well blank space, but I'll try to stop so you can hear that um, this is all about that which is not there. The, when having finished, the, the beginning again, the article, in the root of water fern, every eye may discern the form of a half moon. Everyone, every eye, every age disappears, a dissolving moon, nothing to be seen through the smoke and ashes, the sentence itself, an integument of flexible green, evoking beginning and end. A half mirrored, a whole, a half and beginning again, and discernment, the quiet of parsing, the streets stilled. Ruins one's ancestors recall and filmic versions of the same, the root of a water fern and time enough for the... I was very taken, um, and I cannot remember where I read this, but um, I read that Turgenev wrote a suicide note that said I could not simplify myself. Um, and I was very taken with it, partly because I was thinking so much in this book about how you try to get down to um, disappearance. So this one is called Simple. The unsparing spare. The line in Turgenev's suicide note, I could not simplify myself. Reaching a point that's never reached, the doorways. Up there in the potager, you could see it was held by raveling twine, yet it kept them out and in. But the old sepulchral bed in the marketplace of Megara was in the form of a lozenge, readily made out by the composure of the body. The door itself opening, the body in the form of passing through, framed by it, and can one think of reaching out and not touching it? Is that what it would be like? Air at the fingertips, oneself in the strict form of a lozenge. If I could simplify myself, it floats there like the garden at the top of the hill. Um, the poems in the next part tend to be a little bit more prosy, I think. Um, and um, someone just wrote and said, oh, I like your poem called Relics. And you know, when somebody says that, you think, oh, did I write such a poem? And then you have to go and look, and lo and behold, there it is. So I'm going to read a poem called Relics. Um, and I really... Um, 
I wrote this for my friend Louise Juhas, who told me the story, um, which I didn't know, which is that um, it's not just when you're traveling in Europe um, that you see um, indication in museums that people revere relics, but that Buddhists also revere relics. In this month, the tea is cold before you get to it, and the rhododendron all leaves for another year, and she says Buddhists revere relics as well and worship teeth and bones from the ashes, and she's finished a whole set of revisions and will keep after it, and I hear on the morning news a cashier in France has written a book saying mothers in line threaten their whiny children with growing up to be cashiers, and the reliquary queries hold bones in silver as elaborate as the pistols of jack-in-the-pulpits as sparrows eat the coats of oil off the radiators of cars, as daylilies collapse in time-lapse, as the farmer hefts a bag of grain on his shoulders going up the hill, never thinking anything about it, past the white llama, the famous Himalayan flower, meth labs, and 25 days of rain in midsummer, a leftover stripe of silver across the sky. Um, I'm very interested in um, photographs and um, as some of you may know there was a sort of retrospective of Robert Adams um, in Los Angeles and I wrote a couple of poems um, before that actually that were based on photographs of his so I wanted to just read you a couple of those and then I have some other prose poems that were written about photograms, and they're from my forthcoming book, so I'll read those as well. Um, so this is after Robert Adams um, from a book called California Views, um, and he is wonderful at getting uh, pictures of that kind of western white blank sky. Um, no sky. No sky a gray backdrop merely and absence, and below, the scraggle of dusty fronds, the scrub oak and scrub jay, whose abrasive noises sharpen in response. Shadows proliferate in deep furrows, no sky, merely a scrim registering conical thrusts, a heightened flurry, and outlines of branches, the dead ones, slowly petering out. Magnificent ruin, the cut through the field, blasted chaparral. As I understand my job, it is while suggesting order to make things appear as much as possible to be the way they are in normal vision. An unvoiced series of sentences without articulation, with gray shapes, formulating a syntax loosening and then tightening from edge to edge. The frame sets a border from which a thin straggle hangs down at random and like purposeful intrusion and so unlike. And the interstate in the title, missing from the photograph itself, merely a dry riverbed the density of shadows trapped in the confusion of bush and bush-like tree. Except from higher up than the rest, its thin trunk arched against, no sky, colorless, less often remarked upon, 
appositely emotionless these days, a relic like the fan palm living at the edges of water. And I'm just going to finish reading from this book by, with, by reading a poem called Remembrance. You have to write what you don't know and hope that in another time you might. But there will be no French, even if he translates some few words to help. He's ordered more birds to replace those lost and the few scatter, leaving bits of white. No one can free himself from the manner of his time, and even he didn't believe he was invited where he received invitations to go. The yellow bird was up the road and took off quickly, though not so quickly as the swallows skimming the field at the end of day. I couldn't believe there were so many and couldn't see what they were after. Underneath the crescendo, the sounds of footsteps, although he'd gone up hours ago. Even in another tongue, it's something like the thing itself. Um, so, as I said, I, I tried to write these two books sort of in tandem with one another, and um, the, the Transfer of Qualities book is about the way in which objects and objects or objects and people transfer qualities back and forth with one another, and so I chose the form of the prose poem because it's that kind of poem that sort of allows for that kind of crossover, um, and most of the book is filled with objects like the cup or the scissors or the mirror or the corroded metal or various kinds of things. Um, and then there's a long series that's about um, the book, which of course is one of the most favorite objects that we all have. Um, but I wanted to read, um, because I'm still working on another book that has to do with photographs, I can't seem to get away from them. I wanted to read in part um, from this section called Photograms. Um, and for those of you who aren't so familiar with them, photograms are simply um, when you take an object, um, a paper clip, uh, eyeglasses, scissors, a piece of corroded metal. You put it on a piece of photographic paper and you expose it to light. And um, I think all of you have seen them, even if you don't remember. Um, and I got very, very enamored of the idea that there were objects that were exactly reproduced on photographic paper. Um, and there was a way in which, for me, it was like being impressed with them um, as well. And since I had been spending so much time thinking about objects and the way in which they um, mattered to me and changed rooms when I walked into them and so on, I wanted to write about these. So I began looking at Maholi Naj and Man Ray and, um, and so forth and reading about um, about photograms, um, especially by people like Rosalind Krauss. Um, so I thought I would just read a few of these to you because they're a bit peculiar um, and not so much, and I think not quite so melancholy as um, disappearing from the world at large. Um, and uh, this one is called Paperclip, um, and uh, obviously we all know what paperclips are. I suppose they're going out of out of use just the way that um, books are, but anyway, the paperclip. The paperclip is of a size to be picked up between finger and thumb and dropped into the paperclip jar on the desk, true to form 
and exact. The object reproduced is the same as the object itself, the human element removed to intensify the illusion of reality as if the thingness of the object were its only and most palpable point. Despite current ways of seeing in which we all adjust for size, the photogram demands the setting aside of such faculties to acquire new ones. The paperclip, the safety pin, the leaf specimen demand a far more rigorous discipline, the discipline of taking things exactly as they are. Pliers and wire, the V of pliers, as heavy-handed as an autocratic command, as vicious, as weighty in the hand as certainty. The skin turns cool from the metal, smells of metallic ozone, shifts in tactile weight from one hand to the other. The tight grip of the V is outside the zone of flutter one's hands fluttering in the face of precipitous dreamfall, endlessly spiraling through uninhabited space. But it's day. Things need be done. The wire requires the proper tool. Certitude is the object captured by the object that holds things in place. A spoon darkened in heavy outline a splay of mesh letting in dashes of light, and whatever is egg-shaped, balanced as if in a foot race against time. The curdling of eggs, the decay of monuments, the light dusting of lines across her brow, the teetering balance of a spoon in one's hands across the thumb, the outline of seductive fingers in mesh gloves. Spone, from the Anglo-Saxon, a shard of wood. Another definition, lying together in a curved form. Objects, just lying around. And so the open scissors rest on the paper itself and the object is captured a tactile process that exaggerates the illusion of presence. Your hand makes the shape of a scissors in a child's game. The shadow of your hand against the sunlit wall makes the clicking noise of rusty scissors. A sort of laying on of hands on the document. So often just the imposition of an opened hand, the movement of mortality in the scissored fingers, cartilage so thin as to be transparent, each leaves a handprint for the future. Unseen, the lifeblood is draining day by day. That objects have shadows that the intangible shadows impress upon us the solidity of the object, that what is entirely objective is bafflingly abstract, that the object touching the paper during exposure is gone in the image, that a mechanical process should express for us not only affection for an object, but intimacy, the skins of separation somehow dissolved, a longing to be touched, 
disintegration of fixed systems, an erasure of gender, a skin of emulsion coating the pores, oil rubbed over all the parts, a gratuitous act terminating in gift. The life of a shadow is all movement and light, or all absence of light, as the wing eclipses the sunlight, or as light itself flickers across the paper, inscribing an illusion of birds falling through air. As roller pigeons somersaulted, they made circles over the house as if they would plummet to earth, and we held our breath as they hurled themselves hither and thither, an old-fashioned expression, hearkening back to the Canterbury Tales and Pierce Plowman, Hyder, rhyming with slider, lines of light sliding across the sky, and by chance, and by chance, evoking the opposite. Birds got hold of, bird feathers, throbbing hot in one's hands. Um, and I'm going to close by reading a couple of uh, portraits that also come from this um, this new book. Um, so I was interested in the way in which, um, obviously, people and other people or portraits we see um, also change the way that we are um, and transfer themselves into us. Um, I'm particularly interested in the way in which when we stand next to someone with a particular way of talking, um, or at least this happens to me, um, um, I begin to talk in the way that this other person talks. Um, and then I'm embarrassed because I'm sure that person is going to realize that. And I'm not making fun. I'm just not able to help it. Um, so I wanted to do a series of portraits, and I'll just read you a couple of these. Uh, this one's called Rauschenberg. Rauschenberg. So it's a collage, um, and it's a, um, it's a wonderful Rauschenberg collage that happens to have a tiny little, tiny little piece of a Renoir um, in it, um, the little girl with the watering can. Can one say the stoop of her shoulder, the pull of a blouse against the back, her hair falling across her cheek, the pull of a thread at the hem, the pull of sympathy? Can one say the watering can in the Rauschenberg, the Renoir girl herself, blue pinafore, blonde curls, the green watering can pasted into the collage? The whole of the past may be longed for in its wholeness, but it only comes in such fragments, reincarnated in the stoop of her shoulder as she leans over to talk to someone. And then, although this woman is young, her stoop only a momentary break in her extraordinarily erect posture, and nothing to do with the stoop of years. All that happened in black and white films she has never seen, and only lately has taken to watching, has now been visited upon her by deadening images others of us know by heart. I think of that often because when I show black and white films to my students, um, it's as if I introduce them to some um, entirely other culture. Um, this is called Charcot. Um, Charcot was a photographer who took pictures um, of women um, in states of hysteria. The leaves move outside the window of the kitchen. They do not blow, 
but rather from a still position move suddenly from side, one side to another and stop. I try to figure out how this might happen, how the wind might be caught in a particular eddy at the side of the building, how the fence just beyond might let some leak through, wind that lifts the leaves and then hits the side of the house, stilling the branch. Standing at the stove, I'm frightened by the movement, the stiff green clothing of the woman. Her name is too familiar, and she's come after all this time to stand at the side of the house, stare at the leaves bending and stiffening as they take on the postures of hysterical women. When conjoined in this way, they begin to oscillate as if wary of whoever might be moving through the interior rooms of the house. Henry James wrote a wonderful short story called The Real Thing, um, and I stole his title, Henry James, The Real Thing. It was not so much that I recognized her with certainty as that I was certain she was not brand new. She moved as if she were copying the way people move. I told her that in one story, the characters who were the real thing proved no good at playing the roles of the genteel. I always buy everything I want, she said, because I have no bad habits. She was addicted to buying used handbags. She arranged them along a shelf and spoke to them in their slouchy configurations as if they were dolls that would, as she remembered from childhood, come alive at night and move about. One by one, over a shoulder, by a side, clutched under an arm, they were functional enough, but lumped together on the shelf, they were ciphers for the postures that seemed far more real than her own, as I stared at her, certain that despite her obvious youth, I had seen her before, worn and creased and slightly used. Um, I'm listening these days to uh, Jeremy Irons reading um, Lolita. If you've never done it, um, you might try. It's pretty eerie. Um, anyway, this is called Lolita. She can, you realize, over time, only address one person at a time in a private language whispered into an ear. Last night, the film focused over and over on the adolescent's ear, the nape of her neck, she was lying by the swimming pool, her one ear exposed. She is the woman I'm speaking of, not the young girl in the film who destroys everyone's life by seduction, uh, inadvertent, advertent. A woman who has constructed her own language, a private language that would have been seductive years before, but which given her age and the use to which it has been put is something else altogether. Yet in the momentary thrall of such language, one experiences the days of one's adolescence when names were secret and codes were operative. One feels the intimate violence of the voyeur. Um, and I'm going to um, end with Bach, um, which is always a good place. Um, and. Uh, this is um, written for um, a particular singer, um, Lorraine Hunt Lieberson. The voice sings a mellow E-flat. The oboe is unforgettable in its pathos and creates the picture of one who cannot express her pain because her mouth is closed shut. 
The CD plays all afternoon. The soprano's voice is deep and weary and won't leave me alone. The mouth that sings and the mouth that is closed have been around before and the woman whose low voice held you spellbound through sleepless nights so you couldn't think to open your mouth. And what did you have to say? What sorts of things could you add to the pain that wearied her and drew such circles under her eyes? And what right did you have to say anything at all Though that through those years before she vanished from sight, only to reappear in Bach, schlummert ein Irmatten Augen. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.